0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of You Play A What. My guest is an extremely busy man, so I'm super glad that he's able to come onto the show. He is a graduate from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London, and since returning to Singapore, his scope of work has just been growing exponentially. Yes, you might have guessed it, his name is indeed Yao Chong. He is currently an adjunct faculty member of the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts as well as the School of the Arts in Singapore. However, his range of work goes beyond just performing and teaching. So in this episode, I sit down with him to talk about life after graduation and some of his personal experiences. You might want to listen closely as Yao Chong shares important aspects of navigating the freelance world. Enough talking from me now. This is you play a what with Yao Tong. My guest today is living what I called the freelancer's dream. His wide range of work includes not only being a performer and teacher, but he's also involved in band directing, orchestra management, concert production, content creation, and finally, he's also my employer. Welcome to the show, Yao Tong. How are you doing today? Hey everyone. Um, I'm doing
1: great. I'm very excited to be here. This is the first time I'm doing a podcast, so yeah,
0: very excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh just a quick question. Uh do you find any time to sleep or do you just keep working all the time?
1: Yes, I do sleep, lah. Um yeah. I, I think the, the thing about being a freelancer is you can sometimes it can be a bit uh overwhelming. You need to know when to take a break. So I do take breaks, uh, but I do work myself very hard also.
0: Yeah. Uh, every, every now and then I see like uh, uh some of Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. you being at like a beach having a nice drink mm-hmm. yeah it looks like good life you know nice uh, kind of balance uh, between uh, work and uh, leisure yeah i think that took a while for me to
1: figure out though um when i first started when i just started working it was saying yes to everything so that was always uh, something that i learned over time to know where to find
0: the balance Mm. And I suppose it's also like eventually getting on enough sort of work for you to then decide that i oh, actually, I have to focus on these things and I can't take on anything else or anything more. Otherwise it would be just kind of like working mm-hmm. nonstop, right?
1: Yes, definitely. And I think if you take on too much work, sometimes the overall quality of what you do suffers. So it's knowing when to say no and how much you can do, basically.
0: And I suppose Mm. uh, with the questions uh, to your uh, sleeping habits should be slightly more relaxed right now, now that everything is sort of like Mm. slightly more inactive, which leads me to the next point. We've all seen your latest venture into uh, content creation uh, with regards to your new YouTube channel. So tell me, like, you know, even for me starting this podcast, the number of uh, videos that I watched, you know, those kind of YouTube videos where they say like, yeah, five mm. things to note before you start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. I yes, you know, I ploughed through so many of them, you know, before I finally decided that, ah, okay, I have to actually, you know, do something and start the process of creating mm-hmm. the, uh, the podcast and actually uh, creating the content that you want to do. So, uh, was it the mm-hmm. same case for mm-hmm. you? What was your process? Yeah, I, I think,
1: I mean... Okay, this probably started from about a year ago. Uh, a good friend of mine, Twain, he's a personal trainer and a business owner and everything. He's he's always been telling me, you know what, you really should go online, you know, you should do some content creation. Um, and I think it's true for all of us where when you're so busy with all the other things that you do, it's hard to... Find time to really think about all these kind of side projects. In in some ways, um, I knew it was important and it's something that I want to try, but just never really got that momentum going. So I guess if there's any positive thing coming out from all these crazy times, it's suddenly you have so much time. You know, like you said, um, my my schedule just totally opened up, and after you know sorting out most of my own personal admin and all all the imp- other things that I don't usually do, I realized that hey, I can really you know, spend some time on something like this. And like like you, I, I spend hours looking at YouTube videos, websites, trying to find out what I can do to make this work because I've never recorded myself this way. I've never video edited. i never on my iMovie before. <laughs> and yeah, so it's really quite something that, um, yeah, very different from what I'm used to do. Like. And I, I mean, I'm generally a very open person, but being in front of camera and, it's still not something I'm very comfortable with. But I thought, you know what, this is going to be here for a while, you know. At, at the very least, if nothing comes out of it, I do a year at, of YouTube. I'll have shared some of my, you know, experiences online. Um, and I will have grown better at talking to a camera. I've grown better at video edit, editing, you know. So I think there will be something good that come out of it. I just don't know yet, but um, I'll just give it a shot.
0: Yeah. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah. You know, the kind of skills that you acquire as you do you say like youtube or podcast the kind of editing software mm-hmm. that you have to get the terms with and the way you speak and all that kind of stuff it's all very important things mm. which you know as musicians sometimes we don't have this chance to develop because we are constantly mm-hmm. yeah doing you're right we are always playing exactly an <laughs> then yeah. we have to outsource all these things because mm. everybody knows that this is important yes. who wouldn't like to have a few nice videos of their playing on their YouTube channel I mean mm. I would like some of them yes. but I've just never gotten around to actually doing the work and to, to think about needing to pay somebody else to do it and stuff like that you'd be like ah maybe this can wait mm. yeah it's too exactly. much trouble right And yeah, yeah lovely that you uh, mentioned Twain of course Fantastic Euphonium player.
1: Eh? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's always been encouraging me, and I always tell him, Yeah, maybe, maybe, you know. And I just thought, Well, this if I don't do this now, I will definitely regret it. So I just decided to take the plunge. And yeah, I'm very glad that the first video that I did was, you know, like I, I really can feel everybody's support. So I, mm. I'm very thankful yeah, for that.
0: That's uh. good. And we should support, you know, it's uh, a very brave, brave thing yes, to do each you other. Know, to just put, put yourself out there like that. <laughs> And uh, what what can we expect from the channel, or what are the kind of things that you would like to do?
1: I think at a very like a beginning level, I'm going to try and try a few different things to talk about. I want to talk about things to help people, you know, grow grow into better musicians, uh, confident musicians. Things that maybe, um. I experience over the years that I can share. I want to talk also about things like how to be a successful freelancer. I think that's something that uh, we don't talk about so much in music school and you only really learn it through life. So I think there's some um value in you know sharing some of those experiences as well. Um I might do a bit of like beginner brass, you know, helping younger students especially with with all this uh, time where perhaps they don't have a teacher or they want just someone to support them on their learning journey, maybe, maybe some of those videos. And I think if if you know, once the all the circuit breakers uh, go away, hopefully I can, you know, collaborate with people on on the channel as well, just to have some something different on it. A bit mm. of playing, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but I th- I think I'm I'm just exploring at the moment. Uh, this is the general idea I have at the start, but um, I'll see where yeah. it leads me to, la.
0: Yeah. So mm. yeah, really good stuff. So one very famous quote that I've heard is, "Music school makes you a better musician, but they don't actually prepare you for work after graduation." Right. And mm. I'm really excited to speak to you more about this as we progress through uh, today's interview, and uh, so. Mm. Regarding our channel, uh, at this point of recording, uh, Yao Song has just released uh, his first video. Maybe when this is uh, being broadcasted, it would have already been five, six video. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so your first <laughs> video is on five practice tips for musicians, both beginners and advanced musicians. Mm. Yes, that's the that's my first video. So uh, I would suggest everyone go check it out. So his channel is uh, Tabi Yao. T-U-B-B-Y-Y-A-O. Okay, so uh, go on to YouTube. Have a look at really good stuff. So support him, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, um, I mean, we've gotten into quite a bit of the the interview in the spirit of the title of the show, right? I have to ask you, uh, (laughs) what do you play? I play the tuba. That's what I... uh...
1: I, I do nowadays. Um I I, I play in orchestra when, when there are freelance projects happening and also sometimes in brass Quintet. Very rarely by myself, but that's yeah. basically what I do.
0: Fantastic. And the next question. I feel like we will have different recollections about this. Do you remember the first time we met?
1: Oh no. Um I know it was from a really long time ago, I, I think it's from like 2012, um, when I first came back. But I cannot really remember where exactly or what what was the situation. But yeah, yeah. it's been quite a while. And then I know you went overseas for a bit. So then we, we didn't we didn't see each other until you got back.
0: Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. But do you, do you remember? For me, actually, I think the first time I spoke to you was at the Roti Brothers store below Nafa. And it is indeed
1: oh my goodness. in twenty twelve.
0: I was there. I, I wow. yeah, I forgot who was there, but you walked past mm-hmm. and then you joined us. And then I was just telling you that, oh, I'm leaving to go to Manchester for, yes, for my I studies. Re- I remember that. Yeah. And and then after that, we, we kind of never really had a chance to speak yeah. to each other until mm-hmm. very recently when I came back. And then we we did a mm. few uh started playing together. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but that's not to say that I have not heard about you uh, prior to 2012. So, same, and mm. you've somehow managed to keep a relatively uh, low profile. Maybe it's because you didn't attend any uh, music school in Singapore, but you left mm. overseas mm. at actually quite an early age, I would say, especially for uh, mm. Singaporean males. And you've gotten into AYO, you've done uh concertos. Have you you played Aruchunian with SWO? Yeah. I, I, I,
1: uh, that was with my secondary school actually. Um yeah. I had I was very lucky, la. I had a very um supportive band conductor growing up. So he, the moment he felt that I could I could deliver some of these pieces, even though I mean now thinking back, they were they were really difficult. Mm. So there are there are moments where it's a bit too high and everything. And he just said, just play lower, we'll perform the piece still. So he was very encouraging. And I think a big part of where I am today is really because of the encouragement and support from them from that time. Mm.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like at least during that time, uh when I, I was growing up, particularly looking at you and Twain, both of you are doing solos Mm. at a secondary school level. And I remember Twain playing the the Horvitz-Refono Concerto when he was like 14 or 15. Absolutely unbelievable. And what what tuba were you playing back then?
1: I played on the... Were you playing a higher tuba? uh, I started on a B... No, I was starting on a B-flat. Then in sec 4... I think around March or April, I, I swapped to a C. And when I did most of the solos that were, I think they were recorded actually, um, they were all on a C tuba. So it was a lot harder. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know better. Yeah. So I just I just played I just played on a C. So I, yeah. I wouldn't have known of F and all the other see, tubas. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it was quite, quite an experience really. And then after that, I think there was a concert it was Brass Quintet Concerto with Wind Band or Brass Sextet oh, with Wind yes.
1: Band. Brass Sextet. Yeah. Yes, that was with Sambawang. Yeah. And
0: yes. yeah, I, I was at a concert as well. And that was... Yeah, wow. when was that? Was that during your uh,
1: studies? No, that was in... I believe that was in two thousand eight because it's a very crazy story. Um, I got into AYO that year, Asian Youth Orchestra, and so the concert happened on the second or third week of AYO, and it's so I mean things just happen, and and so I wrote to the orchestra and I said, hey, the the concert's happening on a Saturday or a Sunday. How, can I can I fly back to play? It's a solo thing with the brass sextet and we have worked on it for months, you know. And they actually agreed. So, I think what happened was um it must have been Friday, Saturday morning, I flew back to from Hong Kong to Singapore, then performed either on Saturday or Sunday and flew the night flight straight back to Hong Kong and then continued for the AYO rehearsals for the next week. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that was such a crazy time. Yeah. Yeah. Really felt like a like a <laughs> musician.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, crazy yeah. times. Yeah. It taking the, the plane as like a like it's a bus or something, right? Like yeah. a bus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I totally I mean I didn't think of it for so long already, but yeah,
0: that's one of those concerts where you do a lot for music, mm, man. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Good. So yeah, yeah, to sum that up basically. Yeah, I think we met at a Prata store. Near Nafa, mm. I think that was like the first proper encounter. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of musicians meet there. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> yeah. It's so really I maybe before that, but I have absolutely no recollections of it at all.
1: Mm, yeah, mm, mm. yeah. I think we know of each other. Mm,
0: definitely, mm. Uh, at least I know of you, lah, for sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about your your musical journey how you started learning music or the tuba and how has that brought you to the different stages of your education and your careers?
1: Hmm. I I started music actually in Yamaha. The, I don't know whether it's the JMC or JAC program. So I started group classes from quite a young age. And then I think that transited into playing the piano. Um, so I played piano throughout primary school. And then when I joined the band in secondary school, um, I was a French horn player for like five minutes. <laughs> and then because of my height, <laughs> uh, my conductor back then said, Hey, you play the tuba. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the tuba has really followed me. I've been, I've played the tuba since then. And, but a lot of things happened along the way because I remember at that time, uh, MEP was like, you need a second instrument. And, uh, the thinking behind it was a tuba cannot be a second instrument because it's not a melodious instrument. So for MEP, I actually learned the flute for two to three years
0: mm-hmm. you wow. know, just
1: to do the second instrument. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And the other funny instrument that I played before in JC was uh, also for MEP because they said uh, you need a second instrument and it cannot be a Western instrument. It has to be like ethnic music. So I actually picked up the Kutung in one year to, to play for the exam. So, yeah. I I mean, I've dabbled a little bit with all the other instruments, but already by that point, I think Sec 3 or Sec 4, I knew quite clearly that um, the tuba seemed to be something that... It's not that I love the tuba, but it's something that really, like, fits in very well with my kind of character. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't really yearn to play solos to be very honest I'm very happy to play in brass quintet uh, to support and also in orchestra it, I mean even though there's so much waiting around um, actually orchestra playing tuba is something that I love you know so I, I could tell that at that point um, it worked it worked well for me mm. um, yeah so then since then um, I went to Guildhall after after army. actually so in 2008 I did four years there my undergrad um, and then when I finished, it was a decision whether to go and study some more, you know, in Germany. Uh, I think there was some work that could happen in China, Beijing at that time, or come back to Singapore. Mm. So I decided at that point that I should come back to Singapore first, give it a year and see what happened. Ah. But then I never left. So ah. I've been here ever
0: since. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, your, your initial contact with music in Yamaha... So that group class, what what were you learning then? Was it like keyboard or theory? Hmm. Uh very, very
1: basic uh music things. I think like um not much theory. It was actually a lot of sofage. I remember always the I mean the teacher would play like so and then ask me to guess what notes they were. Hmm. Uh on those electones, I believe. Uh, okay. Um yeah. And then I think your parents can even see in you know, on, you know, the my mom, was, my mom was sitting beside me during those classes for at least for the beginning. I see. La. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. And mm. what was your kind of reaction when you were given the tuba? Uh, because people always say, right, it's not really an instrument that you fall in love with immediately. Yeah, mm. I don't know whether this is true for you or not. Because usually, when you tell a student that I'm sorry, or you don't say you're sorry, but you go and play a tuba, <laughs> uh, they'll be like, oh, "But it's you know, it's huge, it, it's heavy, it's uninteresting." Mm. Uh, how, how was it for you when you had to play the tuba? I wow,
1: well, I I actually never, never hated the instrument so much, lah. I I I don't. I mean, even even now it's my instrument of choice and, and what I play, but it's not some, I, I love music more than the tuba in some ways, mm. you know? Um, And I think I never felt that the tuba only held long notes. I think that's uh, largely because of, uh, at that point at time, the moment I could play something that, you know, I reached a certain level, I was always given music that was much harder. Um, Yeah. And I was always like, oh, you mean oh this solo. So even from SEC 2, I remember getting scores to play very um like tuba and band pieces, like three minutes, four minutes a kind. And I was already told, hey, just play, you know, practice this and 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 you can, you know, you can you can this the next step for your progress. So I guess in some ways the boring side of things didn't come mm. in. Um but I remember my grandmother saying Ah, oh, why so why silly? You know, why are you can choose such a big <laughs> instrument? And I just told her I didn't have a choice at all. You know, my conductor told me to
0: play this, and I was very quiet at the time. Uh. I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And it seems to me that you've got this love for music from a very young age mm. that you just enjoy playing music. So it's not mm. really about what instrument. I mean, of course, like you said, there's an instrument of your choice. But mm. for you, it's just kind of like the general kind of enjoyment of playing music or listening to music and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I do enjoy playing most of the, the the, instruments that I've played over, you know, over all the time so far. But I think what I really love of about music is the playing together with people. So actually, even for tuba, that didn't feel like a problem at all.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, th- that statement that you just made, is a very common point that's being put across by the other tuba players that I've been uh, speaking mm. to. It's the exact same thing. That they they mm. want to be part of uh, something that's greater rather than like, oh, it's all about me, 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 me all the time.
1: No, exactly. Which is exactly. really,
0: really cool. Mm. You mentioned also you learned flute for two to three <laughs> years? I think up to sec three. Yeah. Take some exams. Let's debunk this then, right? So, obviously, you've been playing tuba and the flute at the same time, okay? So, does this mm. idea of playing a different instrument, does that messes up your chops or I'm not sure? Or is that a myth?
1: It didn't for me. I, I mean, I don't know if it was like a, a reed instrument, whether that would change something, but I, I didn't feel any problem. I think it's just the problem. I think why we don't tell people to play two instruments at the same time is because you need to devote time mm. to the instrument, you know, uh, I mean, ultimately, I don't end up playing the flute also because I was spending so little time on the flute. You know, it was good enough to pass the exams back then. But overall, I was playing like 15 to 20 hours minimum a week on the tuba. So it just ultimately became like an instrument
0: that I played so much better because of that. And and has that influence of flute and uh, guzheng made you mm. think differently about the way you play tuba?
1: Oh wow! I never thought of that before. I I guess so. I mean, when you play a different line, basically in a orchestra or band back then, um, or you know, you play a different role, you just understand music from a different you know perspective. Like like a tuba player, we're always thinking about uh harmonic movements. Mm. You know, I'm I, at least that's how I view my part and learning and you don't get that many melodies, but playing the flute, uh, you have to learn to shape certain things, you know, you know when, when you have a melody. So actually, I never thought of it that way before. I guess playing piano also helped with all this connecting. But I'm sure, to answer your question, I'm sure actually all these things are connected.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, and I find that very interesting because coming from me, my contact with music has always been revolved around euphonium and brass and mm-hmm. I've... I'm absolutely useless if you put a piano in front of me. I mean, I, I use that to do some buzzing exercises, maybe, you know. Uh, no clue about any other woodwind instrument on on how it operates and how to the, the, how to generate a uh, sound on them. So yeah, it's always interesting yeah. to hear uh, instrumentalists that has dabbled in different instruments for an extended period of time, even yeah. during the earlier stages of their development and. Like you said, mm. perhaps not playing it up to a level that you are proud of, but yeah, for sure, it sort of most um the way you think about music and the way you play. I think anyway. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I agree. Then let's move forward a couple of years. Let's talk about your JCS briefly. Any exciting things happen there?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, I think at that point in my life. I was so
1: involved in band. Mm-hmm. I was, um, yeah, I, I really, I think something happened around SEC3, SEC4, you know, towards JC time. So I really became like, I, I keep telling everybody I wanted to be a musician at that point. Um, in fact, actually, before JC, I really wanted to go and study music. But my parents were very insistent that if I have to go through JC... And also army. And then after that then they will support my decision because they they, they felt that I was a bit too early mm. when I was making that decision. Which I, I think on hindsight, you never know what could have happened if I left so early. La. Yeah. Um but I think in JC I spend most of my time um in band, mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, the music that I can play and everything. I don't remember much about the lessons to be honest, the the rest of it. Um I was I was not a very hardworking student. Nah. I always left things to the last minute. Um but I think that, that few years I did a few interesting things because I again back to my secondary school band conductor, uh, Mr. Desmanang, he 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 found like competitions, uh uh different international things for me to do, you know. Mm-hmm. So in my JC one year, I actually flew to Budapest to play for uh, the ITEA, ITEA, International Tuba Euphorium Association, the under 18 category. So I actually flew all the way there um, when I was like six, you know, just before I was 17. Mm -hmm. Then for JC2, I was involved in the International Youth Wind Orchestra. That year was in Singapore. Ah. So I also took like two weeks out of school just to go for this kind of thing. I was very into music already at that point. Yeah. So yeah, those those were my big. I mean, the two big moments that I remember from JC, and of course, there going back to Daman and going between the two schools, like my JC band and the the school that I started learning the tuba from. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, I think you know, mm-hmm. just within this first thirty minutes or so, I've learned so much more about you. <laughs> you you went to ITEC yeah. at seventeen. Yeah. For the under eighteen category. Wow. Yes. Wow, and. And okay, did yeah. you, um? So, w- was it the same back then? Did the competition happen a week before the conference? Um, I don't.
1: I'm. I no. I think it happened during the conference because I remembered when I was there, I was already watching like um all the different master classes, the lessons, and the concerts at night. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think it happened maybe on the first couple of days. I mean, I didn't. I. I didn't do well, to be honest. Um, it was my first crazy competition. I was so nervous, and I remember I was using photo photocopy scores. You know, I I mean, overseas they don't do that so much, but in Singapore everybody you know do not dirty your original use photocopy scores. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, yeah, and I remember the um my my score. I was so nervous that I put like instead of page one and two in front of me, I put page one and page four. Oh no! So when I started playing. I got to the end of page one. I was in panic. So I tried to flip and my entire score fell onto the ground. And I, I just blanked out. I could I didn't know what I was doing. But the audience was so close that one of the girls, I think she was also a fellow tuba player, she rushed forward to my stand Took everything on, put back on the stand, and said, "Here, here, continue playing. If not, I will. You know, it's one of those moments where you wish the 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 floor will open up and you just disappear. Yeah,
0: yeah, or, or, yeah. or you just want, can I try again? <laughs> can you?
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, that was that was definitely one of those moments where I think, wow, I should I should have used a foul or something. Mm, yeah,
0: <laughs> hey, that's where we learn, right? Mm. I mean, everybody has yes, got experience yes. like that. When you talk about things happening in a competition, I think gives you the best kind of experience on how to deal with things. <laughs> From then on, nothing is ever that difficult anymore. Uh, for the longest time, it's been my dream to go to an ITech because, you know, being a geek, I just felt mm, that, yeah, you know, very cool. yeah, going to one whole yeah. week of uh, tuba euphonium uh, madness. Yeah. yeah, But I had to wait till like 2016 when I attended my first one, mm, yeah. Mm. And it was good. Nice. Yeah. Good. But then, um, yeah. <laughs> at that point of time, after like day two or three, then you're just out with your friends and, you know, yeah, perhaps know. not going to all the, the masterclasses. For lessons <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I did the
1: exact same thing. You know, um, the first night, Tuba euphonium. wow, these people are amazing. Yeah. Second night, and by the third night, I was just like... You know, I don't know whether I really want to hear another tuba or euphonium thing for a while. Maybe tomorrow then I'll come back. So, I I, I feel you. Yeah, I totally understand yeah,
0: that. It's like, it's that. like how yeah. much cheesecake can you have, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, one slice, exactly. yeah, it's pretty nice. A whole thing, mm. Mm, maybe not. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Good. So, um, then let's talk about when you uh get into AYO. So, when was that in your life? Was it about the same time? Uh... That was, I think
1: I was 20, that was 2008, just before I went to Guildhall, I did AYO then I flew to uh, London, so I think that was the year that I just finished NS, then I, I auditioned in Gen or Fab, and yeah, I was very lucky enough to, to make AYO that year, because to be honest, uh, AYO was my first orchestra, I've never played an orchestra before wow, AYO, Okay. Yeah, I was was totally out of my depth. And the the pieces we were playing back then were very big tuba pieces. Um, We did the Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet suite, Mm. quite a number of them. And also Shostakovich 5. So very big tuba parts. And I was like, man, when I got there, then I knew, you know, I knew what
0: I had to do. Because, yeah, it was quite an experience as well. Nice. Hmm. And during your National Service Days, were you doing anything related to music? No, I was a military police. So, and
1: I was doing shift work. And to be honest, that time, it was really hard to practice because my my work involved like 24 hours of shift, then 24 hours off, and then a day of standby, which if it happens on a weekday, I have to go to work. So it's a three-day cycle. Mm. So it's like on, off, standby, on, off, standby. And usually on the off days, um, because some nights you, I don't, I don't sleep much, you know, like 24 hours, I'm pretty much awake all the time. So your off day, really, you just end up sleeping the whole day
0: away. Yeah. Yeah. This brings a very good question. I think it, that is in recent times, it's been a little bit more challenging for say music students that are entering national service to get into mm. the SF band because maybe yes. they are um, physically they are able to go to a combat unit, then they are not being deployed there. What are mm. some of the advice you can give to these people? How do you like maintain that kind of drive and motivation to continue to practice? and is that is it the end if you have to take these two years out?
1: Honestly, I don't I don't think it's okay, no matter what. Of course it would be better if you don't have that, you know, in our life. But I guess being Singaporean, that's not something you can run away from anyway. So I think the correct uh, or the correct approach or the approach that I did was to I is to realize that, you know, that that is the thing. We can all try our best to get into SAF band if we can. Uh but the reality is if you don't, how do you you know, how do you cope with it? So I I mean I think even back then, I tried to play at least two times a week. Mm. You know, um, no matter how tired I was, I knew that there will be, uh, there will be one time in the week where I'll have two days off, and no matter what, on the second day I'll have to play. Mm. So I think it's all about finding your own balance because sometimes if you are, you know, especially if I stay in unit, um, it can be the last thing you want to do when you come out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I think if you if you if you really want this enough, you know you have to put in the time. You will not probably improve a lot during that two years if you can't touch your instrument so much. But I think do the minimum at least to try and maintain. And if there are, I mean, especially nowadays where there are so many things happening, you know, visiting artists and all the, you know, there's Youngsuto To now, there's so many different schools and, you know, they, they bring in a lot of people to, to get inspired also. I think it's, it's, you know, attend as many of these things as possible. Try to play your instrument as much as you can without, you know, without obviously killing yourself doing yeah. it. Um, and then, and then after that two years, you commit the time to it again. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I agree with you for sure because I myself wasn't doing anything related to music during my NS time. I mm, was a clerk mm. for two years mm. and what I found for myself is because obviously I was at NAFA before I entered national service. Mm-hmm. So I was surrounded by people who were all very, who were studying music, who were, I, I would say spoke a common language as me. And mm. for many years, and even during secondary school days, I was hanging out with my band friends. So we all had this mm. common topic. And all of a sudden I was I felt really out of place. You know, I've been focusing so much on on music and, and euphonium and, and brass playing and all that kind of stuff mm. that, You know, when people mention a random pop song, I have no clue what they're talking about. And that kind of like made me think about things a little bit. I mean, obviously, we feel that what we do is important, but Mm. yet at the same time, we cannot uh, sort of go so deep into our work to the extent that we Mm. lose touch with people that kind of don't do the same things as as us. Yeah, so I think it's always interesting. So if you are not in like the... The unit of your choice, I'll say, just make the best use of it. You meet people that most likely you wouldn't meet once you embark on a musical career. Yeah, mm. so take this chance yeah. to just meet people from all walks of life. I think, like
1: like you said, make the most of it because you never know what can happen. Mm. You know, I think just be positive because sometimes it's it's very easy to fall into the 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 thinking where oh this didn't happen that's why. I'm so unlucky, you know. I think everybody will go through something where it doesn't go well for them. And you must try to change anything negative into something, you know, like a learning outcome or a positive thing.
0: I think that's down to us, hmm. really. Yeah, very true. Now, let's go to the next step of your life. I guess the the, the more mm-hmm. exciting part of your life, which is your time in London. favourite. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, before we talk about your time there, any reason mm-hmm. why you picked uh, Guildhall?
1: Oh, um, yeah. So you know the ITech competition that we spoke about. I actually uh change over in London, and so I took like a couple of days there. I didn't want to go back to school <laughs> yet, so um, I spent a few days in London with my tuba, and I remember at that time I wrote to all the the. Tuba players in London's orchestra, so LPO, LSO, Philharmonia, I, I, and I think a couple of them wrote back. I, I took like two or three lessons, mm-hmm. but the the London Symphony Orchestra tuba player, uh, Patrick Harold, um, I had a lesson with him, and actually, I, I just connected with him, and. And I, I actually remember that at the time I did two lessons with him. So immediately after the lesson, I said, can I see you again in three days? I'll work on some things. I'll come back again. And and it left such a big impact on my life when I was like 16 or 17. And that's why, I mean, I, I, I actually never considered Germany or America at that time. I just felt if I want to do music, I want to study with that mm-hmm. man, you know? Um, and I think I only applied for Guildhall and Royal Academy, both schools where he taught and... And that's it. I didn't I didn't apply
0: for anywhere else except uh Yong
1: Toh here as well.
0: I see. Mm. And of course, yeah. then now brings the next topic of the choice of tuba. So um when we mm. talk about tuba players or tuba playing in England or in the UK, it's we mm. we talk about the the top action fourth valve uh E flat tubas. Yes which is also, Mm. uh, when I was in Manchester, I mean, more apparently there, you know so so much brass bands in in the north of England. Mm. It is essentially the instrument that everybody uses. So I believe you did not make that conversion when you went there. Mm. How was it like for you when you were studying there, but then playing on a C tuba? Did people give you a hard time?
1: No, actually no. I, I auditioned with an F. I bought my C tuba when I was in London, so I didn't um I didn't bring my C tuba over. Um, I bought it there. Uh, so actually I brought my F tuba over, and I had a conversation very early on with my teacher. I said, you know, I, I do realize that everybody is playing E flat. I I I mean I'm playing the F. What do you think? And he just said, well you auditioned in the F, you replay play the F. I'll teach you on the F even though he plays an mm-hmm. E-flat, he said, it doesn't matter what tuba you play. So long as you play it well, it's the yeah. same thing. <laughs> at least yeah. for him, like, you know. Um, so, and and I, I think only a few years later, then I realized why he did that. Because I think if he had forced me to switch at that point, by playing the E-flat tuba, I'll be very much almost like closing up more work towards, and it's not, it's not about the tuba playing level. It's about the perception, you know, E-flat tubas for some reason elsewhere other than the UK, they don't always seem to have a good reputation. So um, he just felt, you know, you came in on F, you play the F. And for, for, I mean, other than that, sometimes when I play, because there's a Guildhall brass band as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we perform in the brass band, there's a bit of friendly, um, you know, other, other tuba players, they'll come up to you and say things like, oh, what's that tuba? I was uh, the wrong direction. Yeah, a bit of You know, some friendly, yeah, yeah. friendly thing like yeah. that. Yeah, but it's nothing, nothing. Like, There's no one who will say, you should not play this mm. instrument. And I think I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, everybody accepted. It. And it, it did look funny in brass band, especially with my tuba pointing the other way.
0: <laughs> um, But never mm. had a problem. Of course, most of them own a E-flat tuba, but actually mm. all of them are able to transit between different tubas as well, right? Yes, at least for me, uh, when I see some of the tuba players in northern, whenever they play a particular type of repertoire, they will actually bring out like a C mm. tuba or a F tuba, and it's not mm. always the E flat as mm. well. So this is my own question. I'm just very curious about this. So obviously, I first came across uh, Patrick Harrell's teaching on YouTube when he was doing the masterclass the, for the YouTube okay, Symphony. Yes. So he, he did. Yes. Yeah, uh, he did it for two times. So, mm. um, was he a little bit affected by some of the comments in the first installment? Because I just, because I felt oh. that <laughs> on, on the second one, on the second one, he just said something like, oh yeah, you know, uh, this is, I'm, I'm going to play for you the route, of the Valkyrie. Yeah. But it's more important to go for the clarity and good rhythm rather than just playing loud.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never spoke to him about that before. And in fact, I, I didn't know about the comments. Um, I must have been ignorant at that time. So,
0: did people like comment I mean, on it's just no, playing, it's or? just like YouTube mm. troll, you know, because people are so used yes, to, e- yes. I mean, you, lo- you listen to that Orchestra Accept CD by Gene and that's just two completely different mm. styles, isn't it? So, yeah, it, it's course, a matter of yes. style, not so much of like who is better or who is mm. right. So, when people hear that, oh, mm. you know, why are you using the E-flat? Uh, tuba to play like a uh, low tuba accent, oh, that, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I, I always thought that it was interesting.
1: I, I don't think he really cared, to be
0: honest. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair um, enough. Yeah, yeah. And of course, he retired uh, maybe two, three years ago. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, he came in and did he replace John Fletcher? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Has he shared any of these kind of stories with your department before? Um, Not that much,
1: to be honest. Um, He'll mention a few times, like when he was a young man, what he do, um, like the times where he travel. I mean, because the London Symphony traveled so much as well. Mm. Um, But yeah, he was very much a a teacher who who got things, you know, like you you get to your lesson, you know, go through the things. He didn't really share too much about himself back Um, then. Okay. Uh, nowadays, when I see him after after school, you know, um, when I go to London, I try to visit him at least once. He mm. will share a bit more. Uh, uh, yeah, but he didn't talk too much about taking over at that time. It's, it's quite a long time ago.
0: Okay. So many good things to say about London. Mm. Uh, even for for myself when I visited there when I was studying uh, in Manchester, uh, I remembered all the good food. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I always, always go to borrow market. My favorite. <laughs> and I wish when I was studying in Manchester, you were still uh, studying in London. Yeah. That could have been more fun. We just miss each other, right? Yeah, exactly. And then now let's talk about, like you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, mm-hmm. after you finish your bachelor's, did you entertain the thought of doing a master's somewhere? Mm. Or yeah, what was your plan? actually, or was it just come back to Singapore and see how it goes? I think
1: at that point in time, there was a little bit of um, consideration to, to go to Germany to do a master's. I I actually met a few teachers already. Um, And then there was also a little bit of talk of, I think there was some um, Chinese, you know, some, some work in China that potentially could have happened. Mm. Um, And of, of course, Singapore as well. The, but I think for me, the reason why I wanted to come back first immediate, instead of immediately going to Germany or somewhere else is because I've been away for four years, you know, and I did, I did miss like my family, people in Singapore a little bit. Mm. And I thought, you know what, just come back, see what's happening here. If I can do something, I'll stay for a little bit. If I cannot, then um, I'll study a little bit more. Um, mm. But I didn't feel like I need to do a master's immediately. Yeah, so that's why I decided to come back to Singapore. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, do you attend any of those like uh, Singapore days in London? Oh, I did. I love it. it was, I think in my second year, so it's the best thing ever because uh, all the food free. You know, you go there <laughs> and you sit the yeah, yeah. So I I remember that even the char kway from my favorite one opposite the Masik JC. Mm-hmm. It's it, they, they the the auntie flew over there to cook for me or so. Oh, I was like, oh yeah, uh, it was so wow. good. Wow, yeah. Ex- I I mean, I love that day. Good nice. weather also. Yeah. Mm.
0: I Did it happen only once when you were there?
1: Uh Yes. I think it only happened in my second year, if I'm not wrong.
0: I see. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it happened. I mean, definitely not in Manchester, but I don't mm. know if it happened or not. It must have, but I just, you know, was yeah. a little bit too far away. Oh, yeah, too far yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. But it looks fun, you know? So Very fun. Yeah. <laughs> and of course it's a singapore day but you have some of our malaysian friends and indonesian friends there with us no, as well I, I open to anybody yeah yeah, yeah I remember mm. yeah now after that when you came back to singapore was it difficult for you to sort of like find your footing i i will presume that is not easy at the beginning yes. stages and how how did that all sort of like pan out for you
1: yeah the first six months was very hard uh. i remember I came back in July, 2012. Um, and I mean, I didn't know back then, but even for like school work, you know, or the school band teaching or, or sectional teaching, mm. a lot of the work have, I mean, it's based on contracts these days. So you can't just come back and teach a band in the middle of the year. There's, mm. You know, it doesn't happen much. Lah. Maybe if there's like a, um, you know, like a one-off, maybe it might happen. But generally know what would happen then mm. and like you said i actually didn't do school here or play in the youth orchestra or anything like that so my network at that time um wasn't very strong you know i i just finished cute i came back i didn't know that many people mm-hmm. uh personally so when i came back it was very hard for the first six months um i remember i had to I mean, I I think there was a few OMM projects at that time, and maybe some quintet work, but that was it. Okay. So I knew I had to I had to do something else for a while, and I think the main thing that I did was immediately I tried to find some MEP relief work for a while, and mm. I did I think I did I did something in TKGS for about three to four months, but I didn't do five days a week because MEP only happened like two or three days a week. So I told them. Even though they want, they didn't mind me going in for five days, I said, no, I just want two days or three days. Whenever I'm teaching, the yeah. rest is okay. So okay. then I remember that was the first thing I did to at least give myself a, a bit of income, you know, to, to keep things going for a little bit. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, I also remembered I committed to meet someone every week and not in the kind of like eggy me work kind of way, but more like a, hey, I'm back. I have never met you before or, you know what, can we just have coffee or something like that so that Mm. at least I get to know more people. You know, I'm not asking for work, I just want to know more musicians and at least more people know that I'm back. Mm. Um, And the other crazy thing I did was, and this never, this turned out to be, didn't go anywhere, but I I definitely emailed at least two to 300 hotels (laughs) to tell them that, hey, um, I can fix up live music for you. Um, Two replied, uh, I met one and then they were like, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I did all these crazy things at the start because there was just not much going on and I, I didn't know what to do. So I tried a lot of different things. Yeah. But then I think by 2013, things started picking up.
0: Mm. And this process of trying to meet people, did you find that it was easy for you? Was it in your personality to put yourself out there and be like... Hi, I'm back. Yeah, you know, do you want to come up for a coffee? Uh, We can just uh, talk and stuff like that. Yeah, was it difficult or was it kind of easy for you to do something like that?
1: No, it's definitely not easy because I know I might not look like that nowadays, but actually deep inside, I'm very introverted. I mean, I'm I'm an introvert. You know, I still like my own time, my own space and and just trying to reach out to strangers or people that I might not know so well and say, hey, let's meet up. It, It used to cost me a bit of like, I mean, I get a bit nervous, but mm. I realize quite quickly, actually, that it's not it's not hard in a sense, once you learn how to do it, and I, I, I think I got better at making each other feel comfortable, then it didn't feel so bad, you know, maybe at the start, it might be a bit awkward, but the thing is, I never approach it from a, I need something from you kind of mm. way, yeah. it's more like a, you know if whenever you're free, just let me know because I'm so free now. So um, I'm very happy to meet and you can share whatever you're doing or some... And uh, the thing is, a lot of people are very helpful. You Mm. know, Um, it's not like there's no, not that many walls in the industry that you would imagine. uh, People are generally very, they're happy to share, you know. And and I think sometimes it just takes a bit of time for things to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, as long as you reach out there might always mm. be a chance of good things happening, right? Mm, yeah. Exactly. And if you're yeah, genuine with your, uh, the way you behave and you mm. go to the meeting, you know, mm. being yourself and mm. not something else, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll, <laughs> yeah, you'll always work mm. out well. And mm. then, of course, then you spoke about 2013 when things start to uh, pick up for you. Mm. So obviously, at this point of time, it's been like a good couple of years and I'm sure your, your scope of work has just been expanding every year. So can you talk us through like how it grew from 2013 all the way to like what you're doing now?
1: Yeah. To be honest, there was no plan. Like it did, it didn't happen. Like I didn't say I want to do all these different steps. I think a part of me as in like, I like to try things out, you know, Mm. um, and I know if I'm too comfortable, it's never a good thing. So, I I mean the the back in 2012, I only had the OMM and I had the brass quintet. And the brass quintet was together with Jia Hua, who is now the you know the the managing director of MFO. Uh-huh. So I remember as he was preparing to, um, get MFO started, um, he started to ask me to run the brass quintet. So I just said, okay, I'll do it. You know, I started to do more of that. And I realized, hey, actually, it's not work that everybody wants to do, to be honest, but you need someone who can understand the musician point of view when you do work like that. Yeah. You know, so I think I started putting in the hours to try and be better at managing small projects. And so when MFO first started, I think Jia Hao reached out to me and said, hey, is this something that you might consider doing? And I was like, you know what? I know that means that I cannot play tuba with MFO anymore, but mm. I think this is something that maybe could lead to me growing in a way, you know, mm. and, and at the time I didn't know anything about orchestra manager. I remember the first few projects standing in front of like 60, 80 people that terrified me because some of these people were my teachers, you know, were people mm. that growing up, they were the ones who I, you know, I looked up to and I still look up to them, but now I'm telling them what to do. You know, <laughs> Yeah, it was a very um, strange feeling then. And I, I used to be very scared. I needed to hold a clipboard so that I have a bit of protection. And then, you know, like then I read off the clipboard. So yeah, that yeah, yeah. A bit of security. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think I grew into that, you know, um, then I also remember 2013 I was very lucky because um I, I actually started band conducting. Mm. Um that was my first band, Yochukang, and I still teach them now. Yeah. Um yeah, so I and that is another whole, you know, you can you can do all kinds of section tutoring, but until you conduct your own band, you realize there's so many things that you never considered before. Mm. You know, um it's not so much the teaching anymore, it's, it's the everything else, you know. Yeah. So that, that was another learning path for me. Mm-hmm. And other than that, I think a lot of the 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 teaching started to build up. Um, even the solo teaching, you know, one-on-one teaching. Yeah. The the last thing that really happened, and more recently, one was I I guess um, more recently in the last two three years is more production work. You know, ever since I started do MFO a bit more, and people realized that hey, um, there is also you know if you want to put up an orchestra or other. Or Behind the scenes, before an orchestra gets on, you know, on stage for the rehearsal, there's actually a lot to think about, yeah. and I realized that with my experience, I can help a lot of people with that. So I started to do some of that as well. Yeah. Mm. That's how it grew. Like. It, there was no real like plan. It just yeah. happened. You know, more skills that I built up, then the more like openings
0: happen. For sure, I definitely agree with you with what you said about building up your skill set. Because essentially, this, it is what you're doing, isn't it? You get yourself into these sort of different areas. And then yeah. from there, you kind of grow. And what better way to grow than to have actual work experience? Because you can yeah. go for a lot of courses and you can even go to school to study this thing. But mm. if you don't have like the physical act or a group, then it's actually difficult to learn and develop those skills, isn't it? I think what I really enjoyed uh, whenever I play with you, particularly recently we did uh, this small little uh, wedding performance for one of our friends, Mm. how everything was organized so quickly Mm. because they had an idea of what they wanted and then I think you suggested a way more efficient idea that is beneficial for both performers and mm. uh bride and groom. Mm-hmm. And yes. yeah. And and me just standing there and just like looking at the way you work and just be like, guys, let's just play from here to here. And then like if we need more, we can just do this, this, this. And it's like, yeah, you know, why didn't I think of that? Actually, it makes so much sense when you say out like that. And I think all of this probably just comes from the years of experience in production mm. or, or management, isn't it?
1: Yes, definitely. I think it it didn't it builds up over time. You know, you need to give yourself time to grow into that. So mm. I I still feel that I have a
0: lot to learn, you know. Yeah. And things to do better. Mm. Yeah, always, always. Good. So people are always very concerned. Like, you know, why am I being overlooked? Why am I not giving uh, getting the opportunities and all that kind of stuff? Why am I not hired as a freelancer? What do you think are some of the traits that, for example, Um, of course, this is by no means a representation of the organization Mm. that you're working for, but you, Mm. your own opinion, what do you think are some of the traits that are important when you're looking at a freelancer, whether should I hire this person or not? Because definitely it's not as simple as can this person play, right? Mm. Yeah, because yeah, it's not just down to the ability. There's a lot of things that, you guys have to consider when you decide, uh, actually, let's hire this person, person A instead of person B? What do you think are some of the traits that people mm. look out for or you think are important?
1: Um, I remember a few years ago when I think I was still a student, one of the teachers used to say to be a good freelancer or to be someone who will get work, there are three main rules. The first rule is, are you good enough? And like you said, it's not, are you the best player? The question is, are you good enough? Mm. You know, do you cross that 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 level of being a professional freelancer? Then second thing is are you available? Because if you are not you, you know, if you are too busy doing something else, I cannot hire you also. And then the third question that he said, which is the one that most musicians overlook sometimes, is can I sit in a car with you for three hours and feel good about myself after that? You know? <laughs> I think that's the part yeah. where a lot of us forget. You mm. know, we think that so long as I play well, people should hire me. But um, the reality is there are a lot of people who can play to a certain level. And the, I think in the end, that that feeling of being able to fit in and feeling comfortable to sit beside you, that's also equally important to the playing. Or at least that's how um, I noticed that in the end, people, you know, they want to work with people that you know there won't be too much conflict, for example. Mm. Um, so... I think to build that side of it, you need to, at the very minimum, you need to be open and approachable. And, and you know, that means I don't feel like you're going to take things negatively if, mm, I, if, okay. if you're working together. Yeah. So I think that that side of things is, those are the things that I would think about at the start. Um, but in terms of like getting work and all the other things, the truth is, sometimes we keep thinking about the work that you see your, you know, the, your seniors, the people who are slightly ahead of you. Um, you know, they are, they are doing all these amazing things that you wish you were doing. Um, I think sometimes for students, they don't realize that the next batch of people who are going to be doing all these things is them, them and their friends, their peers, mm. you know, it's not a coincidence that when, uh, you know, let's like say I conduct a school band and I'm looking for tutors, you end up finding your peers basically. Yeah. And I think it's very important to as a younger musician not to forget about that because you keep thinking I need to meet all the people who are, you know, five or ten years or 15, 20 years ahead of myself. But your peers are the ones that will be the next band director, the next you know, orchestra manager, and they will think back to the time you are in school. Mm. Is this person reliable? Does he come prepared for rehearsal? Is, is he, you know, is he on time? You know, th- those things are the ones that they think, oh, I should work with him, you know? So yeah. I think sometimes we forget about that. We just we just keep thinking, oh, I need to get into this so-and-so orchestra or so-and-so uh, manager who, you know? I don't think it's about that at all. That can happen also, but you should also make sure that you you are always acting professionally.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it's probably the same thing for you. One of the first things that drive across to you on freshest Week in school is mm. the need to be organized. Is the need yes. to have a diary. A diary totally. in this case, meaning like a planner or an organizer mm. to mm. very clearly state whenever you have rehearsals, whenever you don't, and don't exactly. double book yourself. I, I think sometimes what seems very simple or basic to us is oftentimes not being relayed to perhaps the current mm. music students. That the mm. need that you have to be there when you say yes you mm. have to be there, you have to be prepared and be there meaning you'll be early. If call yes. time is at 3pm, you'll be there, you know, 2.45, 2.50. Yes, Yeah. exactly. I would say if it's your first time playing in whichever group, go even earlier. Go even earlier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you're like super comfortable, you, are, mm. you know everyone there, then sure, no mm. problem. You can, mm. yeah, you know what you're doing, then okay. But if mm if you get that first call, grab it with both your hands and run exactly. with it. Yeah. And don't come late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. I don't know, can can that even be fixed? You know, when you are engaged for something for the first time and the f- first impression you give your hirer is that you are late. I don't know whether yeah. you can come back from from that or not. You know? it's,
1: it's going to be very hard. I think... If it, especially if you're a young musician and you're late, it doesn't matter how you play already. Mm. It's going to be very hard to come back from that because the, the truth is, while there's a lot of work going around now, there's also a lot of musicians. Yeah. And if I cannot say with 100% certainty that you are reliable, then mm. in many ways, you're just telling whichever organization, not just the one that you just came late for, but for anyone else who's going to willing to take a chance with you, that you're just not, not ready yet. Mm. You know, and... I think the other thing to think about is, again, you need to act like that, not for just the paid work. If mm. you say yes to any sort of work at all, you need to act like that because you are a professional or you are trying to be a professional. Yes. Which means that your behavior is important for everything. In school, mm. in um, the work that doesn't pay, you have to you know, hold yourself to the same rules. You can't just say, because there's no money, I can come late. Because people are always looking at you and you never know in some of this work that um, you know, you, you that might not be paid at first. Mm. Someone, you know, the conductor or someone playing in the orchestra or the band is someone in a position who might be able to read um, you know, recommend you for other work. Yeah. And if you came late for that gig, that immediately becomes a, you know, no brainer where they will think, sure, uh, this person's not reliable. Yeah. You know. For sure. So always impress, always impress. Everything you do, make sure you are in the best and don't overbook because the moment you overbook, you have too little time, you know, you just don't play well.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And mm. especially since I've been back for about a year mm. and a half, uh, playing the euphonium, I do a lot of playing with uh, different sort of uh, community, community bands and groups. And whatever you're saying, it's sometimes very apparent uh, I'll be sitting on my seat and I look at some of the behaviours of this sort of aspiring professional players mm. and you're questioning, mm. Mm. yeah, tone it down a little bit. Just, you know, mm. we are all here. Let's play some music, you know, prepare mm. your part. And yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, if you're working with a group that consists of a good percentage of amateur players, doesn't mean that you don't have to prepare
1: yeah, no, you don't. I mean, you, you are the professional there or exactly. you are trying to be the professional. Exactly. Your job is to make, to pull the people around you to a higher level. Mm. So if you are the one that is not prepared, then how can you say you are trying to be professional? I, I think that's the main thing that you need to know. It's not when you are paid money for that. Professionalism mm. just means how you behave. Yeah. You know, the, the money will come when you are ready.
0: Definitely. I completely agree with you. With that, I think it's been a fantastic session with you, Yao Tsong. Mm. So I hope you enjoyed yeah. yourself coming onto this show. I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel that within this uh, one hour or so, I've already known you much better. Mm. Yeah. And I believe yeah. that whoever that will listen to this episode will also feel the same way. So much more new information, like you used to play the flute for two to three years. You mm. went to Good. Budapest. For a competition when you were seventeen, all that kind of crazy stuff. Yeah,
1: I don't talk about it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, now
0: now it's gonna be uh, digitalized and it'll be here forever, mm. hopefully. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time once again, and uh, for all of you that are listening, uh, please do check out uh, Yao Chong's brand new YouTube channel. This is Tubby Yao T U B B Y Y A O on YouTube. Okay, lots of good content there. And also follow him on Instagram if you want to see more about his life and his work and what he does. I will provide his handle on the show description. Thank you so much again, Yao Chong, for coming on to this show. Thank you so much. And on that note, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.
1: There's something «The Clouds of a Pablo Babac with the establishment of the Superintendent of the Projects of the rifled stem update. .m. dunno great